If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Truth in My Days podcast is sponsored by the Truth in My Days ministry. Welcome to the Truth in My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Hello all. Just as a reminder, this is part 24 of a multi-part series. Today, we have Sonia interviewing John. We've been looking at the question of the age of the earth and whether it is important or not. We saw that the Bible does teach that the earth is about 6,000 years old, which contradicts the claim of secular science that it is 4.6 billion years old. Some apologists, the so-called old age creationists, accept that the Earth is 4.6 billion years old and say that teaching it is 6,000 years old, which is young Earth creationism, is a stumbling block to apologetics and drives people away from the gospel. If that were so, we cannot change what the Bible says about this. And in fact, the broad data seems to show that the opposite We lose people when we compromise on what the Bible teaches about creation. The most comprehensive study of which we know on this issue found that believing the Bible has errors in it, as it would if it were to be wrong about creation, is much more significant factor in causing young people to abandon the church than a supposed contradiction between the Bible and secular science. We saw that the world's top Hebrew experts from leading universities who do not believe in inerrancy, so do not feel the need to make the Bible fit with the claims of secular science, all agree that Genesis 1 certainly teaches that God created the world in six earth rotation 24-hour days. Then we began to look at what is said by Christians who argue that the earth is 4.6 billion years old, and we saw that they not only make certain errors about the laws of science, but particularly that they overlooked the fact that the entire creation week was a week of miraculous activity. The laws of science did not take over the operation of the universe until after the six days of creation were finished. Furthermore, scientific data such as the radiometric dating that supposedly shows the Earth is 4.6 billion years old only does so if invalid assumptions are used. Much scientific data actually shows the Earth is young. Next, we looked at the arguments old age creationists raise to deny the plain meaning of Genesis 1. Next, we looked at the arguments old creationists raise to deny the plain meaning of Genesis 1, such as claiming the word translated day here can mean long periods of time. But in fact, in the form in which it appears in Genesis 1, it can only mean an earth rotation 24-hour day or the daylight portion of it. We saw that plants could indeed have been made appear in one day and Adam could have certainly named all the animals that existed within a day. We also saw that day 7 is a 24-hour day, even though the ending is not mentioned. God rested or ceased from his creative work. This cannot mean the day continues till now. Now, it should be noted the age of the earth is not a scientific issue. A Christian is saved regardless of what he believes about the age of the earth. Nevertheless, Christian teachers and apologists still need to teach the biblical truth about this matter. We cannot deny what the Bible says and still maintain that we are upholding biblical authority. 
Old age creationists bring up a canard of church opposing Galileo's ideas that the earth moves about the sun, but actually it was the scientists of the day who opposed his view. And the Bible doesn't actually say the earth does not move in space. It does say that God created the world in a maximum of 7,687 years ago. In addition, attempts to separate the first two verses of Genesis 1 from the rest of the chapter to allow for a long passage of time between verse 2 and 3 also fail. The days do not begin with, and God said, as this phrase appears more than once in the same day a couple of times. It is a formula, there was evening and morning on the next day, that marks the end of each day, so that all before it belongs to that day, meaning day one started with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Day seven doesn't require this closing formula because it is not followed by another day of creation. If you look at the tenses of the verbs in the Hebrew text, we see in the first two verses they're perfect and after that imperfect. But that does not indicate the passage of time between Genesis 2 and 3. This is actually the standard style for historical narrative. There are things in the Bible that modern science has helped clarify, such as healing of the blind man in Mark 8, 22-25. But none of these contradict what the text says. We looked at the gambit that there could be billions of years between the days, but we saw that does not work. The creation of plants in a 24-hour day 3 and then billion years later the creation of sun in a 24-hour day 4 and the creation of all the land animals on a 24-hour day 6 cannot be reconciled with the old age secular science. So unable to reconcile the biblical creation with secular science, some old age creationists have resorted to claiming that the creation account in Genesis 1 was never intended to be taken as history but as a metaphor. However, there is nothing in the text to justify such a claim. And this approach opens up the door to writing off all the miracles in the Bible as mere metaphors. Furthermore, treating Genesis 1 as a metaphor is only the start. It then becomes dramatized history and then mytho-history. Evangelical scholars go from treating the Bible like any other book to show that it is not like any other book to treating the Bible like any other book to apparently treating the Bible like any other book because it is like any other book. Genesis becomes indistinguishable from Mesopotamian and Babylonian ancient Near Eastern literature. Now we continue the discussion. What we see from uh, William Lane Craig here is actually very typical. Going back to his comment, when he says that the Pentateuchal author has an interest in history, but he clothes his account in myth, we'd have to ask why. If he's interested in history, why does he toss in a bunch of fake stuff? Especially since the secular science evolution theory did not exist in those days. Yeah, there, there, there doesn't seem to be any rationale given why an author interested in history would toss in a bunch of, not to put too fine a point on it, fake stuff, made up stuff. Why? And what do we do then with the Bible's own self-testimony? In uh, Psalm 119, verse 160, where it says, The entirety of your word is truth. Well, with Craig's view, and the view of, of so much evangelical scholarship, that's not really the case. The entirety is not true. Parts of it are true. Perhaps a kernel, there's a historical kernel in it that's true, but a lot of it isn't. A lot of it is myth. Well, they'll probably just say it's true within the genre or something like that. Well, they're saying that these things that the Bible said happened didn't happen. So it cannot be true within the so-called genre 
since the genre of Genesis 1, as we've shown and as the Hebrew experts have shown, is historical narrative. Oh, or maybe they'll say that Psalm 119-160a is um, poetic or something that doesn't really mean that the entirety of, your, of his word is truth. Well, exactly. That's the kind of uh, extremity you're pushed to when you take this approach. There's, there's really nothing in Genesis 1 that would make us think that this author who was interested in history clothed it in myth. None. And it's difficult to think of any other reason than to try to get the Bible to still be okay even in the face of the claims of atheistic science. And what's interesting about that is the Bible, 1900 plus years ago, warned us about this very thing. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 20, we read, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of science falsely so called. Isn't it interesting, 1900 plus years ago, the Bible knew we would reach this point and warned us about it, and somehow our scholars have overlooked or ignored that warning. But don't even some young earth apologists say that this verse isn't actually about science and that science is a wrong translation and doesn't apply to this issue? Oh yes, some of them do. Uh, Creation Ministries International, for example, has an article on their website listing arguments that they say creationists should not use. Some of them are classed as probably should not use. This one is classed as definitely should not use. And this is what they say on their website. The important thing here is the meaning of original Greek word translated science, which is gnosis. And that's correct, as you know. And in this context refers to the elite esoteric knowledge that was the key to the mystery religions which later developed into the history heresy of Gnosticism. This was not an error by the King James Version translators, but an illustration of how many words have changed their meanings over time. The word science originally meant knowledge from the Latin scientia, from scio meaning no. This original meaning is just not the way it is used today, so modern translations correctly render the word as knowledge in this passage. So they say you shouldn't appeal to this because while it's true that evolution is anti-knowledge, they say, uh, it is wrong to use fallacious arguments to support a true viewpoint. Please note that this is a multi-part series. If you have missed any episodes and would like to listen to them, they will all be available on our YouTube channel and on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can find the links to these on our website, truthinmydays.com, or you can look for Truth In My Days on YouTube as one word. What do you think of, of what uh, CMI is saying here? Even if uh, we translate this word as knowledge, how, how do we know that it's particularly only about knowledge related to those mystery religions? Well, we don't. In fact, that claim is, is flat out wrong. Gnosis is the general word for knowledge, intellectual grasp of something, the content of what is known according to the industry lexicons of New Testament Greek. 
It appears 28 times elsewhere in the New Testament. And every time it comes up, it's always about the knowledge of God. And it's always seen as a good thing, though sometimes it can lead to a bad effect. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8 one warns us that knowledge puffs up, that is, it makes, can make people arrogant. But in these 28 times, it is never a reference to the so-called elite esoteric knowledge that was the key to the mystery of religions, which later developed into the heresy of Gnosticism. Gnosticism wasn't even a thing until well into the second century. There's absolutely no reason to think that that was what Paul was referring to in 1 Timothy 6.20, and that the BDAG lexicon, the industry standard, agrees on that. No reason to link it to Gnosticism. Now, it is true that 1 Timothy 6.20 should be translated as, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of knowledge, falsely so-called. But that doesn't mean it doesn't apply to evolution and to old earth thinking. All it means is that it's broader than that. It doesn't apply only to that. It applies to all false teachings, false knowledge, including what we hear in historical criticism, much of it from our evangelical scholars, including what we hear from textual criticism, much of it from our evangelical scholars. But it certainly does apply to evolution and to old earth teachings. So they were warned. We should not have been misled. And this is a good time to point out something else. We saw William Lane Craig calls the Genesis 1 and the early chapters of Genesis mytho-history. So now might be a good time to look at what the Bible actually says about myth, which comes from the Greek word mythos. And that appears five times in the Bible, the New Testament. Let's take a look at these. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 4 says, Charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to myths and endless genealogies. So what's it saying here? Are we supposed to be listening to myths? No. Um, as an aside, what, what is meant by the endless genealogies? Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. But please join us for the next part, same time and same place. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. If you like our content, please share this information with family and friends. It helps us a lot. We also would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Truth In My Days as one word again. Truth In My Days as one word. No spaces in between. Or... Reach us by email at info at truthinmydays.com. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you.